And with me is Aaron S. Lee over in the United States. I'm in not-so-sunny Sydney, but we're on the verge of St. Patrick's Day. This is our St. Patrick's Day special. You're listening to What a Ride, which is the show about swim, bike and run and any other sport that tickles your fancy. And we're we're recording for Radio Sydney FM for Australian Broadcasting Media. And I've got with me on the line for another Crackerjack issue, Aaron. Aaron, how are you doing over there in New Orleans? Uh, g'day, Roop. I'm doing fantastic, mate. As, as you said, I'm getting ready for uh, St. Patrick's Day while you're about to uh, partake. That's right, my friend. I'm going to a lunch at uh, Luna Park for the Lansdowne Club, which is a uh, an Irish uh, businessman's association. I went to the uh, lunch last year, and as you can imagine, it's, uh, it all starts with Guinness, it continues with Guinness, and it finishes with Guinness. And being a Guinness, I've got to be in the right attire. I've got my Guinness uh, tie already ironed, ready to put on. I don't often wear a tie these days, but uh, this is a very special day, so why not? Uh, what about for yourself, Aaron? What have you got planned for the uh, for the big occasion well i'm going to probably start early since you're since you're going to be celebrating today obviously you are a day ahead i don't want to be left behind so i may go to one of my my favorite local haunts which is only about two blocks away it's a little place called molly's market and it's been around forever it's on the the lower french quarter on decatur street and uh it's it's a bit of an irish pub uh, the owner um, is actually uh, passed away, but he's, he's still there in spirit in a lot of ways. Uh, he's, he's in an urn behind, behind the bar on a mantle, uh, along with a few of the top patrons uh, that have frequented uh, Molly's over the years uh, that have had no longer with us. But it's a great Irish place. It's a, it's a famous spot here in New Orleans for the local media. It's been kind of a media pub for uh for a few decades now and, and it's a good chance to to go over there and, and and catch up with some friends who who are fellow uh journalists both in print uh radio and television so looking forward to seeing some of those guys today but then tomorrow for saint patrick's day would probably partake in the in the in some of the saint patrick's day parades in our famed irish channel the irish section of uh new orleans well, it's not all French, Rip. It's not all French. <laughs> well, look, my friend, I'm sure uh, I missed all that banter, that Irish banter. There'll be talk about sport, and that's what we're also here for on What a Ride. And coming up this weekend is the first of the five monuments of world cycling, the first of the five major one-day classics, Milan San Remo, not in Ireland but in Italy. So uh, a lot of uh, uh, talk has been happening, Aaron, about uh, Milan-San Remo this year. We've had all the... Uh, it seems for it like a, a lifetime and a day since this season began back in, uh, back in Australia, but we've, uh, the, the, the season's come through the, uh, Australia, through Asia, through the Middle East, and now it's in Europe, and we've just seen the last uh, final lead-up races to uh, Milan-San Remo, Paris-Nice, and also Torino-Adriatico. It's, uh, it's a really exciting race, Aaron. I love Milan-San Remo, because this is when you really feel that the season's starting. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this year's race. So, I don't know, how do you feel about Milan-San Remo? I know you're a long way there. Actually, you're probably closer to Milan-San Remo than I am. Yeah, I probably am, Ru. But I tell you, when you when you think about length and distance, that's a perfect analogy when we're talking about Milan-San Remo. At 298 kilometres, nearly 300 kilometres, that's a long day in the saddle, buddy. 
It certainly is. It's uh, and it's a long day in the media car too because you have to drive those all those kilometres down. I know that uh, the years I've covered it uh, uh, actually it's not too hard. It's not you can find a nice little spot and have a little bit of pasta for lunch and then you get down to San Remo and wait for the big race to hurtle into town. Well, we're going to ha- speak about that. We're also going to uh, in the show we're going to uh, have a special interview with a guy who has won Milan San Remo, but he will not be racing it this year. But Australia's Matt Gosta to check in to see what he's doing with his career, where that's tracking with the One Pro cycling team, uh, the British team which uh, uh, in for whom he wrote, first raced at the Tour de Langkawi we're also going to have a, a bit of a, tra- a chat with a, with a famous former cyclist, Graham Jones who was one of the uh, the uh, early pioneers of the ACBB uh, amateur French team that uh, became the funnel for uh, talent to the uh, old Peugeot team where guys like Stephen Roach uh, Phil Anderson and those guys uh, uh, raced with uh, Graham's going to speak to us about how he saw uh, the season so far and also where he, he sees the season going and he's going to have a little bit of a flashback as well about the old days, we like the good old days you know when men were men, not like today when everything was so easy <laughs> only just kidding there, if you're listening there and then uh, Aaron, also I think we're going to have a bit of a chat aren't we about what's happening over in New Orleans, I know there's been a bit of flooding going on and uh, there's been this, uh, the bike race, the Rougerie Roubaix, so I'm looking forward to hearing about all that uh, happening because it does sounds more than just a bike race uh, absolutely. Look forward to, to, to catching up after the break, group. Okay, well, look, uh, let's get into gear. Let's get on the saddle. Let's get our uh, feed bags ready and take a little break first, and we'll come back after this piece of music for What a Ride.
once again another great selection from Aaron for that piece of music. Always gets you into the mood. And what the mood we want to be in is for Milan San Remo, as we said, is the first of the five monuments of world cycling. Just for the record, the other five monuments, uh, the other monuments of those five are the Tour of Flanders, uh, Paris-Roubaix and uh, Liège-Bastogne-Liège. And then at the tail end of the season, the Giro di Lombardia in Italy. But anyway, we're here to talk about Milan San Remo, and we we're just talking a little bit earlier about what uh, what makes Milan San Remo so special. It's called the Primavera, which is the beginning of the spring. So you've got that sort of uh, lead into the spring, and the first major classic. Uh, as Aaron said before the break, you know it's 298 kilometres. That's a long, long way. And when you include the um, uh, the neutral zone before and uh, inevitably a couple of kilometres, you have to ride afterwards. A lot of the riders end up getting 300 kilometers plus in their legs and also there's the unpredictability the course is so long and you've got this big build-up toward the crescendo of the race as the race comes down from Milan and it hits the coast and it comes along the coast where there's all the uh, the climbs the hills um, and uh, and one by one the riders tend to drop off and when you get to the final climb the Poggio which starts with about seven kilometers to go uh, that's when the race really explodes and there's this big fight and this big elbows are out for everybody to try and get the top position uh, or in the front position um, of the peloton. Uh, by then, it's usually pretty small at the top of the Poggio for this fantastic corkscrew descent down to the finish into San Remo and then the, the race. It is a, I mean, when I just talk about it, I get excited, Aaron. Uh, you may not be excited about how I'm talking, Aaron, but what gets you uh, excited about Milan-San Remo? Well, I'll tell you, it's just the fact that, as you said, it, it really just kicks off the spring, doesn't it? As one of the classics, as one of the, the five monuments of cycling, this is a, a truly, we, we use the word iconic a lot of times in, in media, but it, it really is an iconic road race. Um, and when you look back at the history of the event, which dates back to uh, you know the early 1900s, one, one name is is really synonymous with the race, which is seven-time champion, uh, the, the the great Belgian uh, Eddie Merckx, and and for for the ones who are our listeners who are, are you know in Australia who are listening to the show, they're going to think 2011, 2012 names like uh, Matthew Goss uh, and or Simon Garrens, but even last year uh, Michael Matthews of Walker Green Edge Bling, who finished third on the podium, who's already shown. Uh, some some form already this this last week at Perry Nice. There's just a lot to be excited about uh, in this fantastic race. Yeah, I think so. I think one of the things I find kind of uh, strange about the races, you know, you, by the time we've seen all these races, we, you know, you've, you get your list of favourites uh, or candidates for the race, and even though you, you can see why they could be candidates or should be candidates, there's still this unpredictability. You know, I was reading an article with Mark Cavendish, who obviously, uh, um, you know, he won it in 2009, just beating uh, uh, Australia's uh, Heinrich Hausler, but he was talking about how um, unpredictable everything is. You just don't know until those last kilometres and uh, and it is true but uh, I think you know some of the names we're looking at this year I mean Cav he's obviously uh, a guy we will uh, there is unpredictability about Cavendish because he's just come off the track program and he was saying it uh, the other day that he hasn't he's not quite sure of his form um, but I still would never discount Cavendish but they've got a really good team at Dimension Data and, you know with Edvald Bosenhagen who's going really well I'm kind of excited to see uh, I haven't seen the full start list but if um, they 
their South African rider uh, Reinhardt uh, Jans van Rensburg, who won the Tour de Langkawi. Um, if he is in the team, he could be a really strong asset for uh, for Cavendish and or Bosenhager in the in the finale. Uh, you know, other names I you know, obviously think of it as Christoph who's going well. Um, Peter Sagan, he's getting closer to that uh, elusive first season win. Apparently he's shaving his legs now, so he must be ready. He hadn't shaved them for like a good part of uh, six or seven weeks of the season. And then um, obviously from Orica Greenedge, I mean, obviously you wouldn't discount Garen's uh, Aaron, as you said before. But I'd have to say the big favourite is, as you mentioned his name, Michael Matthews, who's rode superbly in Paris-Nice. Well, he, he really is, Rupe. And, you know, it's this is an exciting time. And I think this could be a breakout season for Michael Matthews. Again, a, a little bit of controversy swept in that uh, that stage win that he had at Perry Nice. A little, a little bit of argy-bargy, not on Michael Matthews' uh, behalf, but uh, he was a beneficiary of, a, of an official call. But, you know, uh, Michael, he's... I think he's got all the skills. He has all the talent. And I think this year he's going to put it all together. I think there's a lot of confidence and a lot that he learned this past year, especially at the World Championships and after you know over overcoming. And, and, and I, I think I think we're going to see a more mature, a, a grounded, a more confident Michael Matthews as the weeks and the months progress this season. You know, you mentioned something a while ago about uh, 2009 and Mark Cavendish, and I, I keep going back to that. And you. you, you you talked about him just barely edging out Heinrich Hausler, which by a millimeter almost, Rube, is kind of known as the, the millimeter sprint win. But uh, Heinrich never was quite the same after that race. So as much as Milan San Remo has made careers, and in retrospect, it almost it put a dampening on, on Heinrich's career. Of course, Heinrich came back last year and, and, and surprised everyone uh, with a sensational ride and uh, running on to win the, the Australian uh, Road Nationals. Uh, but still, Heinrich was never quite the same. It, 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 perhaps he may have lost a little bit of confidence, lost his edge after that race. Do you, re- you recall that year, 2009, that race? I do recall the race in 2009, Aaron. I thought it was, uh, it was a gripping finale, but I felt for Heinrich Hausler, as you're saying, you know, how much can that scar him or not uh, to lose like that? And, uh, you know, because, uh, as you said, it's a make or break. And how does it break? I wouldn't say it broke his career because uh, he had a very good season that year. He did... Um, Finished, um, you know, fourth in Paris-Roubaix, and uh, well, I think it was fourth, certainly top ten anyway. But in fourth in the uh, Tour of Flanders as well, so he was certainly consistent and on form. But then again, they were near miss results as well. But we've seen, as you said, Aaron, he, uh, you know, he's won, you know, his Tour de France stage. He's won the great national championship uh, the, uh, last year, and uh, so he, he can come up with great rides. It's just the consistency, uh, and not just in a season, but he needs seasons to be consistent. And I just hope he does sort of uh, kick into gear there. But, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, former, well, I guess he wasn't a Milan San Remo winner, Heinrich, but uh, one who was a former Milan San Remo uh, uh, winner uh, is Matt Goss. You mentioned him before. And he's not going to be there this year, but uh, there's going to be a very interesting season ahead of him for, uh, as he rides for the One Pro uh, uh, team from Britain. Um, I saw him at the Tour de Langkawie, and I had a bit of a chat to uh, to uh, Matt Goss. But um, let's just take a little bit of a break first, get our breath back together, and then we'll uh, uh, have a chat to Matt Goss to see what he thinks uh, about where his career is going and where he's where how, how he fits into the One Project or One Pro Cycling Team from Britain.
We'll be talking with Matt Goss in, at the start of the fourth stage of the Tour de Langkawi in the city of Ipo. Matt, you've um, joined another new team, One Pro Cycling, a British team which has a lot of grand ambitions. Can you sort of explain how the move from MTN Quebecer slash now Dimension Data to uh, One Pro Cycling came about and why? Um... Well, it kind of came about. We were talking with a couple of different people and uh, talking with a couple of different teams, and uh, I kind of like the idea that you know Matt Pryor, he comes from a bit of a different background. You know, um, I think you see in a sport a lot of a lot of teams. You know, it's a rider who's become a director who's then gone on to be a manager, and they've got the same mentalities and the same ways. And uh, you know, Matt has uh, a lot of different ideas with One Pro Cycling. Uh, you know, he's obviously been a professional sportsman at top level, but he hasn't had the same. Uh, same things t- spoken to him, you know, over the last 30 years, which a lot of other teams and um, you know other people have done. So it's quite a refreshing take, take on, uh, on on a team. You know, it, everything's done in a very professional way, but um, you know, there's some different ideas involved in the team. I quite like that. Uh, it's quite exciting. It's come a long way in the last, you know, year and a half that the team's been around. So, and they're they're aiming to go a lot further into the future. So, it's quite an exciting project and something I'm, you know, excited to be part of. It's interesting because we saw the uh, for, former Formula One champion Alonso try and get a team up and going. That didn't work. As you said, Matt Pryor, former English cricketer. Um, what sort of uh, thinking does he have that's sort of different uh, that you believe helped him to get the team up and going, whereas Alonso wasn't able to do that. Uh, well, I don't know. You know, I don't know the full ins and outs of everything Alonso was trying to do. But um, you know, he's also trying to balance a Formula One career at the same time. So I don't know how much time he has to actually really get on the ground and and get the thing up and running himself. You know, he's obviously got a lot of people that are doing it for him. Where you know, Matt Pryor, he's, he's retired from cricket now, and uh, this is his new thing. You know, he lives and breathes breathes this team. So that's what he's doing. You know, basically 24 hours a day. So I think that's a big difference there. You know, he's uh, he's very driven in what he's doing here and um like I said, he's probably got a lot more time to spend on it than somebody like Alonso who's uh, you know, doing 300k an hour around a track somewhere. Yeah, I should stand correct. I probably dissed Alonso. They called him Formula Formula 1 champion. <laughs> You'd probably argue with me on that one. Um, listen, for you, Matt, uh, uh, this this move, though, I mean, uh, this is, uh, you know, you had HTC High Road, Oracle Green Edge, you're a foundation member of, and then MTN Quebecus, now Dimension Data. Um, uh, this is, what, your fourth or fifth team now. Do you feel, is, is it hard to make changes or is it, you have to keep an open mind. Um, sometimes it's hard to make changes, but you know this one's been very easy. Although the guys in the team have been awesome, um, the staff's awesome. It's super organised. One of the most organised teams I've been part of. So that's quite refreshing. You know that that makes the process a lot easier. And um, you know it's still a learning curve. You know we've been racing. Some of these guys are still their first race, and it's my first race with. It's going to be my first race with guys at most races I go to. So you're still going to be learning how each other ride. You're still going to learn how to get the best out of each other. But it's something that, you know, we've got a a great atmosphere in the team. And uh, when you've got a great atmosphere and everyone's happy working together, then uh, it doesn't take long to to learn how to get the best out of each other. And, you know, I think we're doing that uh, already. You know, we can see we've been in the front most races we've been to. Now, you're you're a rider with a lot of experience. with this new team and for this season coming up, what sort of real personal goals do you have for yourself? I mean, I guess it's, it's no secret it's been a little while, it's been a bit lean on wins for you in the last few years, and I know you hate me asking that all the time. But I mean, is, do you still have that burning desire and belief that a major win, if not more, is, uh, is in with those legs there? Oh, I've got to, otherwise it's too hard to get on the bike every day, isn't it? So, 
Um, yeah, well, I have got a lot of experience, so that that's one of the things that the team definitely want me for is you know my, my knowledge and experience of the racing. And uh, you know, I'm not that old; I'm kind of getting there now. But I, I've but I've been around for a long time. It's my tenth year pro, so uh, you know I, I've got a lot to give to a team. You know that's growing and uh, you know wanting to learn. And um, you know I still think that there's 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 a race win or two in the legs. I've just got to um, you know take the opportunities when they come and try and make the most of them. M- must be the beard you're wearing that makes you look older. Yeah. <laughs> um, with, uh, this year, obviously, uh, One Pro Cycling are not doing a, uh, a Grand Tour, but you still have some interesting, uh, you know, interesting program up there. What, what, can you sort of go through the program briefly and highlight what are some of the uh, major races that the team's targeting? Yeah, look, we've got we've got some great races. Obviously, for the, uh, the team being One Pro and uh, an English team, the the emphasis is going to be on a lot of the English races. You know, we've, we've Tour to Yorkshire and uh, Tour of Britain and these races are obviously big targets for the team so you know, we'll focus on them but we have got some great racing you know go back to Belgium we've got a couple of races back there so, uh, next, basically next weekend the weekend after and then Coteroom uh, International so it's all top quality racing and uh, you know, racing that some of the races which I haven't done before but I've always wanted to so it's quite a nice change you know, I never got to come to Malaysia before but uh, I've had the opportunity to come here now and uh, even you know, with Dubai last or a fortnight ago so that was quite cool as well. So um, we've got some good racing. We've got a great program. And you know, being a, a first-year pro continental team, team uh, racers want to see some something of the team before they hand out these wild card invites. And uh, you know, we've we've got to prove to these racers that we we deserve a spot to be there. And uh, you know, the race program's growing all the time, and we've just got to keep working on that. Well, Matt, thanks very much for talking to us, and all the best. I'm sure One Pro Cycling will make a, a huge impact this year, and wish you all the very best. Thanks very much. I try to discover a little something to make me sweeter. Oh, baby, refrain from breaking my heart.
What a ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Well, we've just heard all the goss, literally, from Matt Goss. Uh, he's always a good talker, Matt. Um, and I mean that with total respect. Just as I said, I thought that sounded bad, didn't it? Uh, but uh, he is a good... He's, he, he's always been available to the media and he's never shied away from talking. And, uh, you know, his career has been a bit of a topsy-turvy career. It's been a number of years now since he's actually won a race. And uh, he, I always feel kind of awkward having... You know, I guess it's the question you have to keep asking him. You know, uh, when will he win his next race? Or how does he feel about that sort of of drought of uh, wins and uh, you know what he still fronts up and asks it he does have a bit of a wry smile on it when you do ask him but he's a professional and he will always give time so I've got time for him uh, Aaron how did you feel about Matt? Oh uh, look I, your heart has to go out to a guy like Matty Goss because he is such a, a lovable bloke isn't he um, but I, I, when I think of, of, of Matt Goss I go back to two I guess it was two three years ago uh, his final season at Oric Green Edge and uh, I remember at the, sitting down with him for about 30 minutes there at the winery ride, uh, there at the Mitchelton winery, um, the, the team uh, presentations that Orca Green Edge is, is famous for there in Victoria. Um, and I remember sitting down with him, and, and we had a great chat, and, and I, I, there was something missing um, from Matt's eyes. It was, it, was, it was something completely different than I'd, I'd seen two years earlier. Um, and chatting with him in an interview in Sydney. And I remember it just seemed like there was a, 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 there was a little bit of – we talked about Heinrich Hausler perhaps losing a bit of confidence over the years. But I felt that, that, that Gossi had also lost a little bit of confidence. And I'm curious as to you have seen him since then, obviously. Um, of course, he went on and, and rode a season with um, Quebec, which is now Dimension Data. Um, uh, but you had a chance to see him in Lane Cowie. Uh, where was it at? Did he have that sparkle? Did he have that gleam in his eye? Well, I think he was. Um, uh, it was hard. To, well, um, it, was, it, was, it was curious. I was curious because he because it was his first race back, really, and uh, he hadn't raced in Malaysia before. And um, you know, he got as close as you know, he got into a, a ninth place on the last day there in a bunch sprint. Uh, another day, he was well positioned, but there was a crash right in front of him. Um, you know, I think he's still finding his way a bit. You know, it was a new team as well. Um, and I know that, uh, you know, uh, while we spoke about, uh, you know, the classics and stuff and what he would be doing, and he was saying how he's, you know, his, I guess his team, uh, because it is a pro-continental team, their main goals are going to be uh, over in uh, Britain, you know, like the Tour to Yorkshire and all that sort of stuff. And, and, I, and I'm, I, know, I know deep down he'd love to be doing uh, Grand Tours and major classics. Uh, but I guess he he's also he is excited about where um, one one pro cycling can go. There is talk that they uh, want to become world tour, uh, and they are certainly a, uh, for a continental team. They look like a pretty slick, well organised team as well. So um, I just hope he gets back into into the groove of winning. I think that's what he needs to do. Like it's been a number of years now that he's won a race. He did ride for. Uh, it was interesting to hear when he says that uh, one of his you know great pleasures was riding in that winning team time trial for Oracle green edge the uh, tour de france but for an individual win you're going back several years now and uh, he needs that breakthrough and he needs to, i think he needs to get that confidence back again i think aaron well you know he's it's his third team in as many years that can't be good on the confidence i, I think of maddie goss i also think of another uh, australian who perhaps maybe underachieved as well even though his performances were were, were quite impressive uh, and, and alan davis do you see that at all Ruth? 
Yeah, yeah there's similarity there too as well. I think I think with what sets Matt Goss aside is there was a lot of publicity about it was quite open in the public that he was the highest paid rider. He was the marquee name on Orica Green Edge when they started. Um, and uh, I guess as he wasn't winning as many races as uh, the team had expected or hoped, that pressure built on Matt as well um, like uh, you know so you know and it is a lot of pressure to carry but I'm, I guess you're getting it's easy to say well you're getting paid for it so you should do it but I think it just shows no matter how much you're getting paid it, it, you know that doesn't make it easier to win a race you know and uh, these little things start with whispers they start with uh, you know someone's sort of sense of frustration uh, because you could be a teammate or a couple of teammates but they, you start to see it in their eyes that they're frustrated then you start to cramp up emotionally and uh, you're unable to sort of produce your best natural uh, race like that I think and um, and I think that really had a lot to do with Matt Goss. So maybe racing in a continental team this year, um, OK, Quebec were, MTN Quebec now Dimension Data, they were uh, continental last year as well. So, um, but maybe this year, you know, with a bit of a more uh, modest program um, and there'll be less limelight on him than there was at MTN Quebec because there was a lot of attention on that South African team last year. Uh, maybe now he'll be a bit less pressured and he can just get back into the groove of winning, you know, and take a, not think about what races am I at and all that sort of stuff. Just get back to winning. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's it's easy with a sport like cycling because there is a bike component to the to the sport itself that we sometimes forget that, that the other other fifty percent of that quotient is, is is obviously the rider, which is a human being. And of course, as human beings, we are flawed, and more important, we are subjected to to, to, to mental and emotional stresses. That's right, that's right. Hey, um, look, I know before we were talking about Parry Nice and Torino Adriatico and the performances there, but uh, I guess it was interesting that they, uh, you know, they both had the issues of, of the poor weather affecting stages and, um, you know, and the, uh, the both races put into the place the, uh, the uh, protocol for, for, uh, for bad weather, which is unfair for the riders. Um, it was good to see, I think, that they, they, they took that initiative, although they, I think they still have to iron out um, the options for plan B is like what would be plan B if, if you do cancel a stage or whatever I think they have to still iron out the uh, the process but at least it shows that organisers are thinking of the well-being of, of the rider which should be the priority how did you feel about that Aaron I mean uh, well well, I couldn't get over the fact of just that final podium of Perry Nice. Forget the forget the weather. That was that was one of the mo- more stellar final podiums you you'd have in any race anywhere in the world, especially with the element of two former Sky teammates being on there. I I just I thought it was fantastic racing. And being someone who's in the in the deep south of New Orleans, I like seeing a bit of snow, mate. I like seeing <laughs> cycling get down and dirty because these guys are tough. You know, we laugh about football. There's the there's the memes on Facebook and social media about you know soccer. And the guy's feigning injury, and uh, it may be carrying on a bit. Pro cyclists are not that at all. They're the toughest, some of the toughest, arguably some of the toughest uh, athletes in the world. And it was good to see them uh, get a little cold, get a little gritty, but obviously not to the expense of their safety, uh, for sure. But I think the race handled it quite well. Um, it, was, it ended up being a fantastic uh, week of racing. And again, that final podium with Grant Thomas and, of course, uh, Alberto Contador and Richie Port. What a, what, I mean, you, you've had a chance to see two of those three up close this year, uh, earlier in the season for sure. Uh, what did you make of the final? Oh, look, I, I thought those last two days of racing um, <clears throat> were, were absolutely exceptional. And, uh, you know, one set the other up. You know, I mean, you had the second last stage 
stage, um, you know, and that was that was an absolute cracker of a stage. But then on the last stage, with Contador attacking like he did, I mean, gosh, he impresses me with his with his attitude to racing. He is, you talk about people who are born to race, and he is a, a racer, you know, through heart and soul, and his body, you know, and uh, he just threw down the gauntlet, and um, okay, it didn't didn't pay off for him but I mean gee, I, I think it did pay off for him really because I think he earned so much more respect uh, amongst not just within the peloton but around the world of cycling to see him race like that and this is his last year and and uh, you know he got second place overall four seconds shy of the win and how um, uh, I've got to say Richie Port you know I'm really pleased with how he's tracking with his view towards the Tour de France you know he, he's won this race the last two years okay he got third this year so it shows his form still going very well when you think of the calibre of riders or the two riders who are above him and it shows he's, you know, like this time last year he was at his peak, he's not at his peak yet so I think he's he's showing signs of maturity and he's getting his confidence back that he's still in the fray there, you know and um, he was able to go with Contador on that last, uh, uh, last attack as they um, went over the cold des but then what a what a guy uh, a rider Garrett Thomas to chase back like that and 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 the Sky team to ride like that. I mean that was an absolute brilliant brilliant bike racing hour and I've, I'd say it was one of the best bike races uh, I've seen. You know that particularly that last day. Oh, I agree completely. Uh, you spot on. I'll tell you the only thing I, I, I sit there and think about Torino, the the race that was going on as well. And I was looking at at the at the thirty year old Greg Van Averman from uh, BMC and seeing. What a stellar year he's having after having a great success last year with podiums um, at, uh, and, and, well, top fives and, and some podiums there uh, at Flanders, at Paris-Roubaix, and then, of course, the Amstel Gold Race. But then this year, with a podium at the Tour of Qatar, a win in Omloops two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, and then what a stellar performance at Torino. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, uh, it was a shame that uh, I know. We, I know we we're talking about how the uh, you know with the bad weather and everything, how that um, you know the the organisers have to sort of think of the riders' safety first. But it did uh, in Torino lead to the main mountain stage being uh, cut out, and we saw the comment from Vincenzo Nibali, who was saying, "I might not even come and do do uh, the Giro now because of this." But, you know, I guess he had a bit of a hissy fit, really, which created a bit of polemics in the uh, in the peloton. Certain riders uh, thought uh, suggested that he should go home and. Uh, uh, rather than come to a bike race, um, then uh, then complain uh, because these measures, uh, protocol measures, were put in place for the well-being of riders, not to sort of, uh, not you know, to, not to you know, uh, cheat them of, of opportunities to to win. And uh, uh, while it did impact the overall race, uh, the safety was was paramount. Um, you know, if that stage was in, it's one of these if situations. If that mountain stage was in, I don't think Greg Van Avermaet would have won it. But you know what? He won it in the end of the day, and he had to fight to win it, and he had to uh, defend that jersey in the final time trial, and that was a very, very close time trial. Uh, you know, Cancellara getting up on his uh, to win that, and you know, uh, to defend a jersey in that calibre of uh, of field, uh, it takes some sort of rider. But for BMC, it's been a fantastic start to the season, hasn't it? With as you mentioned, he won uh, to to Reno, Richie Port getting uh, third overall in Paris Nice, and thanks to his uh, second place at the Tour Down Under, the first. World Tour race of the season. Uh, now Richie's uh, leading the World Tour rankings. No, absolutely. 
absolutely. And uh, of course, it couldn't it couldn't happen to a better bloke. And and I hope to see this. Uh, we were talking about Michael Matthews potentially having a stellar 2016. It'd be great to see Richie Port really take it to that next level. And with some of the races that he has lined up in the future, but primarily with the Tour de France uh, on the radar, I, it'd be great to see Richie um, join those uh, that that short list of professional riders that uh, have a Grand Tour win under their belt. Hey, look, just before we go to the break, though, I know we've been talking everything about Euro and Euro cycling. Um, I know over your way, Aaron, at Norlands, you've had, uh, there's, well, I guess with the, there's the, the uh, correct me if the right name for this race, is, is it the Rougerie Roubaix? And uh, tell it's us a bit. Of... Yeah, absolutely, Rupert. It's, it's the Rouge Roubaix. Uh, Rouge Roubaix, I apologise. Yeah, yeah, Rouge Roubaix, because obviously uh, it's right near uh, the state capital, Baton Rouge, which means in French, red stick. Um, and uh, yeah, so the Rouge Bay. There's there's not any cobbles. It's a bit of a play off the, the Perry Bay, of course. There's not any cobbles, but there are several gravel sections uh, that are, are, are quite treacherous. Um, and it made for some interesting racing. The, the race has been going on since 1999, I believe. It's quite popular. It is the biggest uh, bike race in the state of Louisiana, a state of, uh, of about 4 million. Um, and uh, it's not a UCI race, but yet a lot of the, the, the U.S. registered pros come in from the Continental and Pro-Continental teams. Uh, this year we saw young uh, 26-year-old Arizonan, uh, Travis McCabe, who rides for the Hincapie development team, uh, Holowesco Citadel. Uh, he and his, uh, his teammates swept the podium. Um, so they, they went a bit uncontested. One of the, the heavy pre-race favorites, Michael Olheiser, who had won the race back-to-back in 2005-2006, was here solo after his Lupus Racing Team teammates who were registered to come join him, including Winston David, uh, the, 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 the rider who won it last year. Um, were unable to make this year's trip following a, a tour at Dominican Republic last week. So uh, Olheiser ended up finishing fifth uh, with Travis uh, taking the win on a ver- on a, and an altered course um, due to some heavy rainfall and flash flooding that affected the area and the entire state with a bit of damage. The the actual route and the of the 160 kilometer race of 100 miler was changed a few times in the in the 24 hours leading up to the race. There was even question, Rube, if the race would even uh, happen at all. But, of course, Mother Nature turned on her charm on Sunday. You couldn't have asked for better conditions. Uh, it was it's sloppy, a little muddy, but the guys were ready for it, and it made for one hell of a day of racing. And uh, a young young lady by the name of uh, Lauren de Crescent, so from uh, uh, the women's team, uh, it's, uh, I believe it's um, Visit Dallas DNA Pro Cycling, one of the world tour teams, has came back and, and with the help of one of her teammates, she won it for the second straight year as well. So it was a, it was a great day of racing in Louisiana. It, it, it was really interesting seeing cycling done uh, at that level here in the state. And, of course, we had uh, it all fitted up with, with, with cypress trees, Spanish moss, and, and old... Uh, old french style uh, plantations and of course we had we had the bluegrass and the jazz and the blues uh, live band live music playing afterwards so you just couldn't beat it for atmosphere it was it was a great day to be there bud 
Yeah, I saw some of your uh, your uh, Facebook uh, uh, photos there of the of the sighting area, and also a nice little video of the of the band playing and uh, a great atmosphere there. Um, if you know anyone wants to look onto Aaron Aaron's uh, Facebook, there's some uh, beautiful shots there. You've sent some great shots back over the last eight months, actually, uh, of your times and travels there. But that was a uh, I, I had to do a bit of a double take, thinking, gosh, this is a bike race. It really is, Rupin. It just gives you, as you know, you just recently got back from Lankawa yourself, and and uh, it's just that's the great thing about cycling, isn't it? Because it it does just crosses uh, boundaries and and um, political uh, boundaries as, as well, not just geographical um, and economic. I, I I think that's the great thing about cycling. It brings so many different cultures together, and also opens the door to cultures for people to to take just a little bit of a glimpse inside and and kind of entice them. After all, that's what that's what the sport of cycling was basically based off of a hundred years ago, right, Rupert? A bit of tourism. Yeah, exactly. Just to um, or to promote the uh, the French newspaper Lotto. That's how the. Uh Tour de France began, and Lotto uh, owned um, this, that newspaper, and they decided to have a bike race. But of course, bike racing started beforehand, and uh, as you said, it's you know generally to promote the area of the country they're in, the produce, the culture, the heritage, and everything. And like when I went to the to, uh, Tour de Langkawi, I'd never been to uh, Malaysia before. And you know, one of the great things about bike races is you go to places you quite probably wouldn't go to if you were just lobbing up as a tourist you know because uh, the bike races do go into the uh, you know the into the vast countryside where you just wouldn't think of being you know and uh, and it was a you know i saw the, the beautiful area of uh, well not all of malaysia but I saw, everywhere i went to it was beautiful and then the diversity surprised me as well particularly when i got up to the cameron highlands you know and uh, you know i just thought um, you know these are places i'd love to come back to sometime thanks to uh, thanks to this bike race and uh, i wouldn't mind even coming back and bringing a bike myself i i know they have the iron man there the malaysian iron man man i don't know how athletes get through that though because geez it's so humid you you break a sweat having a shower there no <laughs> you absolutely do i know for a fact you break a sweat when you dry it off but it's a it is but it's a beautiful a beautiful area and of course i've over the last couple of years had a chance to really get to know a lot of the stops along the asia tour those guys do a lot with a little and uh mm. they should be commended on the jobs they do from the media standpoint from the execution uh of the races themselves and, and the logistics of it. It, it it's 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 great it's great to, to have a race like uh the, the tour land cow in the malaysia gets behind I, my only gripes is that i understand they actually didn't go into Langkawi this year and it, it, for the second year in a row and correct me if i'm wrong the ginting was not in the the, the famous climb was also not in the route that's right. That's right. And uh, you know, while the Cameron Highlands was a was a nice climb, um, everyone was saying that the Genting Highlands, you know, that would have had a, a much bigger impact on, on the race rather than the Cameron Highlands. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they went back to the Genting Highlands uh, next year. Uh, and maybe they would get to Langkawi next year because it is kind of odd saying, uh, yeah, I've been to the tour to Langkawi, and they say, what's Langkawi like? I said, well, actually, the tour didn't get to Langkawi. But anyway, that's well, what's one of the great things about bike races too, isn't it? You know, they, it's like the old four days of Dunkirk. You know, that would go for six days. Why is it called the four days of Dunkirk? You go, I don't know, just because. Exactly. Well, it's great. Langkawi is grandfathered in, but hopefully they'll return back to the island. And for those who haven't been to Langkawi, just uh, especially for the Australians. Uh, listening on the show, it's a lot like Byron Bay. <laughs> oh, we just saw the uh, nude nude bike rally there <laughs> for the. Uh... <laughs> okay, I, I, I don't suggest you go nude though. You could have a bit of trouble, I think. Well, I don't 
don't suggest I go nude anywhere. <laughs> Look, I think we better just leave it there. I think we better uh, calm the temperature down a bit here. It's getting a bit hot here. Um, I think it's time for a bit of uh, music here, Aaron. Uh, can you just get us into the groove? Uh, not nude, just groove, okay? Just go into your LP record case there or whatever you've got there. Pick us a bit of music and we'll come back after the break. This is What A Ride.
You're listening to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Well, the temperature's calmed down a little bit. It was getting a little bit hot there before the break, but uh, Aaron uh, has managed to uh, get us all back to our senses um, with that nice bit of music. Uh, Aaron, look, we said earlier uh, in the show that we're going to be speaking to Graham Jones, uh, who was a great British writer. Um, you know, he went to the ACBB amateur uh, team in Paris and then he uh, went to Peugeot, which was the professional team for whom um, riders like Phil Anderson, Sean Yates, uh, Road 4, um, Robert Miller, Road 4, they all went through the ACBB, uh, um, I guess, uh, schooling uh, of cycling in, uh, in France and then went into the professional ranks that way. They were called the Foreign Legion. And um, but uh, in many ways, Graham Jones was the the pioneer of the pioneers. He went through in 1978, and he went at his time. He was touted as being going to be the next best thing for British cycling. He was a very very good rider. But uh, at the Tour de Langkawi, uh, Aaron, I managed to catch up with him, have a chat. We were going to a little bit of a two part interview here with uh, with uh, Graham. Um, but first off, uh, Aaron, I mean you've you've crossed paths with Graham before, haven't you? 
Patriots. Absolutely, absolutely. And, the, and of course, you know, it goes without question that you mentioned, you know, the ACBB, but he, he did have a stellar, an absolutely stellar uh, junior career, an amateur career. Um, and, and really, you can't gauge his pro career by just looking at his Palmaris alone, can you, Rube? Because he was often put in that position where he was uh, serving as a domestic or, or often a super domestic to some of his, his, his teammates that weren't always a better cyclist than he was. Um, and, and I think that's the thing about Graham is that the talent was always there, but also that selfless nature. And uh, it's, I'm really looking forward to hearing this interview. Yeah, well, Graham was, uh, you know, he's always been a great guy to chat with. And, um, you know, at the Tour de Cowie this year, he was uh, uh, doing all the calls on radio tour. So he was announcing all the breakaways and uh, the crashes and the, who was in what groups and all that sort of stuff. But uh, in this first part of the interview, which I spoke to him just before the start of the last stage, we sat down, uh, managed to find a quiet and relatively cool area to uh, in, in, the sh- in the shadow of a building to have a bit of a chat. And in this first part, uh, we spoke about the Tour Tour de Lancaria and where it's going, where it's come from, um, but also and what sort of impact he feels that uh, the race uh, will have on the season ahead, I guess on the performances of the riders there, and also he spoke a little bit about um, some of uh, the other riders and what he feels for the season ahead. Um, so I think it's, we had a, you know, a, an opportune time now to hear what Graham says, particularly with Milan San Remo and the big classics coming up, and not too far away, the major tours. So let's have a listen to Graham Jones part one. Well, I'm sitting here with Graeme Jones, uh, former English professional cyclist, but here at the Tour de Lancaui, just before the start of the final and eighth stage, uh, he is in his last day of this year's tour in his capacity as radio tour caller. Graeme, thanks for being on What a Ride. Uh, just firstly, uh, we're one stage away, but it looks like um, Reinhardt, uh, Jans van Rensburg uh, is going to win this race. How do you see this race compared to other events? Because there hasn't been any of the marquee international names, albeit Andrea Guardini's here, but uh, do you feel the race has been more open than normal, or uh, is there something lacking from it? I think, I mean, in an ideal world, it would be nice to have one or two more Pro Tour teams here, but um, the Tour of Lancaster has suffered over the last few years with problems with um, people getting sick. And unfortunately, I think, um, I mean, last year we had Team Sky here, but um, I knew from quite a while that Team Sky weren't going to come back this year because of the problems they had. It can take quite a long time for the riders to get over a, you know, a health problem if they have one here. And uh, Team Sky last year had, uh, I think, three or four riders that took months to get over it. So it's always going to be difficult to attract the top teams, and I think particularly at the start of the year because it can have such a knock-on effect for the rest of the year. Um, but um, as a spectacle, I think the race does make it a little more open and and. For for me, um, one of the things about uh, racing in this part of the world is the development of the cycling and the development of uh, other nations. So it, what it does allow, I think it allows more um, of the uh, Asian teams to get, a, to get a ride in the race. This year we've seen the Philippines come back, Indonesia, three Malaysian teams. So I think that uh, is definitely um, something that's going to improve the cycling. Yeah, in the uh, summer of cycling in, in Australia, which has just uh, finished, uh, we had a, a similar situation where the uh, uh, the uh, Tour Down Under didn't have any marquee names, but it had quite a deep sort of field, of a you know, pretty competitive field. But then, obviously, at that same time, there was the Cadell Evans uh, Great Ocean Road Race where Mark Cavendish was a marquee name, and then the Herald Sun Tour, Chris Froome was there with Sky. And there was a bit of a debate in Australia about you know how important is it to have 
foreign uh, marquee riders uh, to sell your race. Do you think it, it's an absolute must, or do you think a race can sell itself just on the standard of, of the race itself, the competition? I think in an ideal world it is, it is really a must, but um, you know, as, as Zayn uh, Lankow has had its up and downs with uh, attracting the big riders, and uh, I mean, hopefully that um, scenario will come back where some of the big names um, are attracted to come back here, but you know, there's so many other races around the world now that riders and teams are, are forced to go to. At the same time, we've got Qatar and Oman, and they're, of course, races run by ASO, the biggest race organizer in the world, and they're under pressure to go there. And uh, these teams uh, are under pressure, if not just with the number of riders they've got in the team that they can put in the races, as much as anything, it's about personnel and team managers that they can send to all these races. So there's always going to be a, you know, a limited amount of top teams that you can attract. Um, just a little word about uh, Hans uh, van Rensburg. I mean, he's not a new rider to the peloton. I mean, he was with the old MTN when it was uh, Continental, and then he uh, then he went to uh, Shimano Argos World Tour. Then he went back to MTN Quebec, now Dimension Data. Uh, uh, how do you feel about his... I mean, he's, he's quite an interesting rider, isn't he? I mean, he can climb pretty well. We saw that in the Cameron Highland stage, on s- stage four, and obviously he's a good sprinter. He told me he sees himself more as a sprinter than a climber, but what do you think he's potential is? I think he's got great potential for, you know, as you say, I mean it wasn't, um, it's not the Genting climb that we're used to in this race, um, but it's a climb that if you, you still have to be a good all-rounder and you, uh, to be able to get up that uh, that climb and the fact that um, he's been able to get some placings on the flat as well, um, you know, has enabled him to uh, to win the race and, uh, and to some extent I do actually like the fact that the Langkawi has excluded Genting in May and does make the race more, more sporting, if you like, and allow the all-rounder rather than the climber who just sits in the bunch and waits for Genting so uh, no but I think uh, Van Rensburg uh, has got great potential uh, as has the team I think the team's a phenomenal story now uh, just uh, for yourself um, for this race has there been any sort of funny moments in your position as radio tour call any little things that uh, that have sort of stood out for you perhaps humorous but perhaps not humorous but uh, certainly left an imprint on your uh, feel for the event um, I can't think of anything particular that's been humorous it's been fairly straightforward actually um, you do uh, get a, a real mixture as much as anything in the team car driving at the back of the peloton because uh, a lot of these, uh, particularly in the smaller teams, are not used to riding in a convoy where there's 40 team cars as much as anything. So some of the driving can leave a little bit desired, to be desired, but you know, obviously I, I can't pick out names to, to say who's at fault. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sitting behind the bunch, so you see it's something, there's something happening all the time, whether it's riders feeding and stuff. But as regards real uh, incidents, no, I think it's been pretty tame. Well, we're talking with uh, Graham Jones, former English uh, professional cyclist. Uh, we're going to come back after the break, and we're going to talk to Graham just a little bit about his career, his old days in the 1980s when he was shoulder to shoulder with the likes of Phil Anderson, Robert Miller, Stephen Roach, and uh, and how he feels about where cycling's going. Stay tuned and come back to us after the break. Now the king's all the
go, but don't you just always be there? Welcome back to Water Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee and with our special guest interview, Graeme Jones, who we just listened to uh, as, he, as Graeme spoke about uh, the Tour de Langkawi and how he feels the season ahead is going to unfold. Um, you know, it's interesting, Aaron, isn't it, when you speak to someone else about how, what they feel. I mean, we all have our own ideas about who can do what and everything like that, but a rider like Graeme with his experience uh, and he's, you know, he's worked as, as a race director, he's been obviously a radio tour caller, he's worked for, uh, for for BBC Radio, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's done... He's worked for Eurosport. They, well, there you got that one in, didn't you? And, uh, and, and he's been on what a ride. And, and, but I think, I, think, uh, I think the only thing he hasn't done, is, as he says, is uh, he hasn't been a, a coach. But uh, uh, I wouldn't mind him coaching me one day, but uh, we'll leave that for another day. But I think, uh, you know, Graeme's always an interesting voice to, to, to talk about. And, and one of the things, uh, um, you know, I guess his calm nature. You know, no wonder he was able to get on with a lot of people and just sort of filter into teams and, and, and blend very well because he has got a pretty calm demeanour even if uh, he feels that probably he uh, he could have asked more of himself and had a bit more mongrel in him. Sure. That might have made a difference in his career. But uh, I think what we'll do now though, we're going to listen to what Graham Jones says uh, in the second part of our interview because I might have just alluded to a little bit of what he spoke about. But uh, let's listen to what Graham Jones says about his career, where it began to, what it was like back in the late 70s trying to break into the sport of cycling then. It was completely different to what it is now. And, uh, and obviously he speaks about, about how much he feels, uh, how his career went and how or if he could have done better. Here's Graham Jones, part two. Right now. Welcome back to Water Ride. I'm sitting here with Graham Jones, a former British professional cyclist, but at the moment he's sitting on his last on his last day as uh, this year's Tour de Langkawi as the radio tour caller. Graham, thanks for being on the show. Um, now uh, we've known each other for quite a number of years now, and you've uh, helped me a great deal in my book, The Foreign Legion, which was about English-speaking riders who were trying to break through into the professional cycling at a time where there wasn't the big support network. I mean, you really had to pack your bag and it was a one-way ticket to go over there and you were one of the uh, members of the Foreign Legion which were the members of the English-speaking riders who joined the ACBB Amateur Club in Paris and then went on to Peugeot and then to greater things. Uh, we look back on those days uh, in the 80s. Uh, uh, how do you feel the sport has changed for a rider? Is it easier now or is it harder because of the, 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 the internationalisation and greater awareness of the sport? I mean, cycle racing at the highest level is always going to be a hard and um, you know you can't really compare eras in terms of that it will always be hard no matter what uh, what era it is but I think it, it's easier in the fact that um, riders no longer have to up sticks on their own very much on their own as we did in our case in Phil Phil Anderson's case Robert Miller myself up sticks with the bike and you know a few pounds or dollars or whatever it was in your pocket and uh, you basically went and had to make ends meet to, to, to stay there and nowadays um, a lot of riders um, you know getting picked up from their own countries and uh, getting introduced gently into the feeder teams for some of these um, uh, pro teams I know the Australians have introduced had this system in Italy for a while where they brought riders across and done stints there so they've got used to the, the whole European feel before they've often made the step up to the pro rank so it's not quite as big a jump and um, 
And, and nowadays, particularly um, from, from a British point of view, when we did it, we really had to up sticks and move to Belgium or Italy or France. But now riders still often live, you know, they have one base. It's so easy to get around Europe now uh, with the number of flights and easy. So, that, you know, just getting around. I mean, we drive, we spent hours and hours and days in cars sometimes just driving to events, you know, and the logistics of riding, say, in Midi Libre, you drive down there, you leave your car in your town at the start, and then you've got the logistics of getting back to your car afterwards and then going home so, so the whole system makes things a lot easier and of course I think the biggest thing is that the riders are controlled looked after more uh, physically mentally um, now with the teams and they race a lot less um, so you know the racing still at the highest level is hard maybe sometimes in a way harder because people race less and concentrate more on certain periods of the year or certain events um, you know I'm sure from my day 50% of the field in the Tour de France were already tired before they'd even started the Tour de France from the rest of the season whereas now 90% of the field has come there to target the Tour whether it's a stage win or not you know so they've been carefully controlled coming into the, to the Tour. Can you recall the, the day you arrived at the, uh, the front door of ACBB at Boulogne-Billancourt in the suburbs of Paris with your bag uh, I believe it was 1981, correct me? No, 78 was ACBB with me. I'm going back. I'm, I'm the first one. <laughs> so you are the pioneer of pioneers. Yeah, so, so along with Paul Sheeran, of course. I was a few, was a, a few months earlier than me. But yeah, the first, the first um, one ACBB that went into the Peugeot ranks. So that was the, the start of that one. Yeah, I can, I can remember it now. It was uh, January, end of January, snowing. I was on the coach. Uh, traveling with another colleague who came across we were delayed many hours arrived late at night and for, we were met by Claude Escalon at the bus station and taken to our digs and that was uh, the introduction next day taken to ACBB and you get your bike and a couple of jerseys and that's it you're, you're away really training within the next day and then I think the next week we were off down to the south of France for, for the training camp you, you were a very good rider. I mean, and uh, at that time you were even touted as, as the next best British thing to come. Um, how did you handle that expectation, and and, and what were your sort of uh, uh, your, your moments? You, you, you felt that your greatest moments where you, which was a make or break moment that. Uh, maybe defined how you went for the rest of your career? Yeah, I think probably for me, um, I probably didn't handle it as well as I should have done. I was probably not selfish enough, um, probably not... Um uh, that little bit of a hunger I, I should have I had it when I was an amateur but I think once I got to the pro ranks I think um, the team that I went to Peugeot was had so many stars in it that I got a little bit pushed back and trying to break through became you know became a little bit of um, a problem when I got the odd chance and things I just tend to I know it's easy now to say this but I just the luck wasn't quite there you know Criterium International getting knocked off when I was away on my own and in the mountain stage by the getting knocked off by the TV motorbike and stuff like that so it was always the nearly and not quite there and with cycling as much as in any sports it's a confidence thing and you know once you sometimes crack that first win it can you know people people can come through and it gives you that much more confidence to take the chance here and there whereas sometimes you might just hesitate and say Oh, I should have gone with that one, and you didn't. You didn't go, and your teammate did, and you know. 
Stephen Roach is a perfect example of the opposite. He came through, obviously had enormous talent, you know, more, obviously I was never going to be a tour winner, but uh, he had enormous talent, but he got a fantastic start in his first, uh, you know, in his first few months winning Tour of Corsica. It could have been any one of six or seven Peugeot riders in that. Yeah. team that year and then of course he went on to win Paris. Were, were you a young kid who had the, the, the dream to race and to win the Tour like so many cyclists do or were you coming in with an open mind to see what you could do for yourself? Yeah I mean I, th- I think probably you know, there aren't too many people that everybody can dream of the Tour but maybe realistically probably you know that maybe never quite going to win that um, but I, I always realistically dreamt and thought and knew that I was capable of you know top 10 finishes in the Tour given the right circumstances and the right backing I mean now I would have been suited more to today's racing because I wouldn't have been forced to race so much and uh, had some targets. But uh, you, you are you're born in the era that you're in and, and you get on with it. But yeah, I mean, I have some regrets, but I don't regret not doing. I don't regret doing what I did. I just, you know, like a lot of people, we could have the sliding door syndrome. You know, it's one of those things, and it? it's just could have had that one if I just made that one breakthrough I think I probably would have had a, a, a more different career well I mean clearly you, you love the sport because you've been so much a part of it since I mean you've been uh, raced we were race director of the Tour de Langkawie before and you've been uh, a, a television commentator radio commentator at all the big races um, do you uh, have you got involved in any coaching or mentoring at all coaching is the on, is the one side of things I never really went into uh, more team management I did a, a couple of pre- events for GB many years ago with the under 23s but uh, I don't I for some reason it wasn't for me um, and I've my, my background really since has been as you say on the TV the radio side but also on the organising side so and the technical side um, been very much involved in Tour of Langkawi in the early days on the technical side um, I've done the routing stuff in Tour of Langkawi in the past and was for several years uh, director director of Tour of Britain and, and races like that I've been involved in um, races all over the world still do races now even for ASO um, as an assistant race director Beijing uh, Norway other, other races like that so my background has been on that, that the organisational side rather than uh, the coaching side but um, no I don't think that, that side was for me although probably wise I probably would have gone into it at an earlier stage you know I mean I've got friends who I race with who have been basically the John Herity for example Rafa Condor is the, his whole career since he stopped racing has been a team, team manager and fair credit to him he obviously loves that side of the sport well, Graham, look, thanks for joining us on the show. What a ride. Uh, we could sit here and talk all day, but if we do that, we're going to miss the start. I'm going to be stuck here. We've got a long way to go to Malacca for the end of the, uh, of the tour, but thanks for being on the show, and uh, we'll get you back on later in the year. It's going to be a long and interesting season, I think. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I think um, particularly the Tour de France this year. I'd like to see uh, all the big guys up there. Um, Froome, you know, can anybody beat Froome? We'll just see with, whether Quintana progresses and, of course, uh, could be Contador last tour. Do, do you have a feel as to who uh, will win or who you'd like to see win? Um, well, I think from a British point of view, it'd be good to see Froome win and, and keep the momentum going in British cycling, which again, you know, I still find hard to believe that what British cy- what a cycling is in Britain now, from being you know a nothing sport to uh, mainstream. Um, so Froome, but I, I think he's like, going to face a real battle this year, I think, from Quintana. I think Quintana potentially could have won it last year. Froome was, uh, was a tired man in that last week of the Tour. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think uh, Quintana, probably if he learnt one thing, he's got to make his move earlier in the Tour rather than wait till the last match. 
mountain as in outdoors. But anyway, as I said, we could be talking all day. We started, that was a segue, we started talking on it as usual. Uh, Graeme, thanks for being on the show, and uh, we'll speak to you later in the year. Okay, no, no problem, pleasure. to Water Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee and we just heard a little bit of uh, nice music to, uh, well, Graeme Jones, the second part of his interview was a nice segue into that last bit of music there. 
Well, Aaron, it's been a, another interesting show. I think um, I, I love this, this. I love just this chat. We could do it all day. I don't know whether our audience would want us to do it all day, but uh, I love it. Um, and I really feel now, Aaron, that gee, we're into the season. You know, the real racing starting, and uh, it's. I've got a feel good buzz about this year. It's going to be by the end of this year. I think we're going to be talking about so much. Yeah, well, I agree. It seems like, uh, as you mentioned already, the season is, is very short, still very relatively young, but so much has happened already, and so much exciting uh, things have, have, are underway, and there's a lot of movements on the chessboard, so to speak, and it's going to be uh, interesting to see how it all unfolds from here on. You know, great listening to, to Graham Jones. I was just thinking when I was when we were listening to the second part of that interview, Graham Jones, Graham Watson, Graham Obrey, Graham Brown. Is there something about Graham that uh, is that that's that first name? Is it uh, does it just kind of lead itself to a great career in, in cycling? Uh, they're certainly um, they're all uh, they, they all certainly have their own personalities. <laughs> that's for sure. There's a wide mix of personalities there, but uh, all very interesting characters. Is it too late for us to change our first name to Graham? Well, I didn't tell you my middle name's Graham. Is it really? No, it's not. No, I'm not going to tell you my middle name. It's one of those. I've got two middle names. It's sort of one of those names where you think I, I must have kicked my mum when, when I was born or something, you know, because to get a. Get, <laughs> and you're not going to get them out of me. Don't worry. Well, I tell you what, for, all, for anyone listening, uh, you know, out there um, in Radio Land, please feel free to, to send us a tweet, <laughs> send us a, a Facebook message, email us, let us know. If you happen to know what Rupert's middle names are, please let us know. And you can also tweet and, and tag Rupert Guinness at Rupert Guinness. Uh, that's with <laughs> R-U-P-E-R-T-G-U-I. Double N E double S. Uh, please feel free to uh, to tag him in that as well. Um, he's not on the Twitter, but he's lurking still. <laughs> no comment. I, I, I don't tweet anymore. Everyone knows that. So if you do do it, there's no replies coming. Um, <laughs> that, that's we'll have to do. We'll have to do a special social media edition maybe one time, and uh, uh, that could get sort of. Uh, we could end up having an argument on air. You never know, Aaron. That would be uh, interesting, wouldn't it? Well, no, absolutely. Just as we're talking, just received an email from the Cannondale Pro team. Uh, they're announcing they're going to have multiple options, it looks like, for uh, Milan-San Remo. So it looks like something we'll be able to talk about on the next show for sure. And Simon Clark's name is on there. Hey, here's a name we forgot to mention earlier. He did very well, didn't he? He had a nice early season win uh, in, uh, gee, I've forgotten the name of the race, but it was one of those lead-up one-day races in, in, in Italy. And uh, that was a great start for Simon. I sent him a message actually just saying how, uh, you know, congratulations, but just, uh, you know, having the change of a team and uh, new hopes and ambitions and, I guess, new faith in Simon, um, you know, from a new team uh, has given him a bit of uh, uh, calm and, and a, you know, an opportunity to sort of break free a bit and open his, spread his wings and, uh, and have a crack. Yeah, he did. He, I believe that was a, was a Grand Prix. It was a 1.1 race or 1.2. I can't remember the, the name of it myself, but it was, a, it was a small race. But great to get that, that confidence in. One of his teammates, who we've talked about a lot too, Patrick Bevan, getting third on the prologue at Perry Nice. Oh, yeah. How was that? I mean, that really was a, an excellent performance. And I guess... Uh, you know, us have been following, um, you know, Andrew Christie Johnson and the Avanti, Isaway Avanti team. Uh, you know, I guess we've seen his, his progress coming up the ranks, you know, but uh, it's just great to see that performance sort of, uh, you know, okay, it's one, it was one race, one time trial, but to see it confirmed like that, I mean, it, they called it time trial the race of truth, and in that company you can't be a slouch to finish third in that time trial. No, 
collapses. And of course, he would go on and, and end up in a crash on stage five, would suffer a fractured rib that would force him out of stage six. So he, he, he actually wasn't able to finish the race. But uh, just a gutsy performance, and he'll he'll be back. And and uh, I'm sure uh, Gent Wevelgum is still on the on the blocks for him. Hey, um, just quick to the lid for uh, Sean Lake, by the way, winning uh, back-to-back uh, Oceana titles. Not back-to-back, but the two titles, the time trial and the road race. Not bad for a rower. No, not <laughs> bad at all. It looks, it looks like maybe the, uh, the Australian Road Nationals weren't a fluke after all. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, uh, there's something about that, isn't it? It must be what's in their bid-ons or something in that team. They're, uh, they're, they're, they just continue to, to produce rider after the rider. Yeah, they really do. And again, it, it, what really amazes me most about that program is they keep discovering talent from 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 different sources. We talked just in Sean Lake being a former rower, Richie Port being a former triathlete, Nathan Haas and those guys being former mountain bikers. I mean, I, I, I like that element of finding that undiscovered jewel from another sport. Uh, obviously, they're, they're closely related, but they're not getting it from the traditional um, uh, pathways, are they? No, exactly. Hey, what about what, what do you think Andrew Christian Johnson could do with two old hacks? Um, uh, and and what, what do you think he could do with us? Do you reckon how far down the road do you think we could we could stay away if we could get away? We'd probably get dropped in the neutralised zone. Well, yeah, I, I don't even know I'd make it to the neutral zone if I, if, if I if there was a bar or a pub in route <laughs> to the neutral. I may not actually make it to the start, but if you if you if you dangle a nice tall. Pine, you know, tall, cold pine of Guinness at the finish line. I'd sure, I'd sure do my best to get there, buddy. I sure would. <laughs> I don't doubt you somehow, Aaron. Uh, just lastly, what's up for you, mate? Um, you know, I know you've got. Uh, yeah, we've, we've all got uh, St. Patrick's Day um, festivities to uh, to get through. But what about in the next uh, week or two? And um, you know, what are, what are your movements? Well, St. Patrick's Day is such a, a fantastic holiday, as we mentioned earlier in the show. I don't know. I'm not looking much past that i just want to get past st patrick's day <laughs> make sure that i survive intact and uh kind of take it from there but there's some great racing coming up uh, uh some some races uh, tentatively uh we're looking at um the the joe martin race mm-hmm. um stage race in fayetteville and uh obviously going to look at uh, maybe even the sunny king race next weekend um in alabama so two-day criterium and then some America's Tour races, and then potentially um, I've got some, some, some emails I've got to get back to, potentially uh, Turkey, um, and then back to Korea. Hey, with, with the Joe Martin race, uh, it be interesting to see how the United Healthcare team do there. They race really well at, uh, at Lancowie. They had a good Aussie campaign with the Herald Sun Tour as well. Um, you know, uh, it's a good team there. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they go there. I mean, obviously their big uh, plans are for um, Tour of California, but, uh, you know, Joe Martin race will be their first race since uh, Lancowie, and I guess their other team was also racing in Asia, wasn't it? The, either way, they're all back in the States now, ready to, uh, ready to I guess, make best of what they can in, on the U.S. circuit. Well, I'll be looking forward to seeing UHC because I always like catching up with their DS, who I believe we may have an interview with next week. Yes, good old Hendrik Radant. He is a classic. He is a classic of cla- he is a classic rider who loved his classics. He still loves classics, and we had a good chat with him there. And uh, as you know, Aaron, you have a chat with Hendrik. Um, it's always a good chat, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. One of my favorite times was actually going back to Langkawi, uh, sharing a cab into the Kuala Lumpur, into the the uh, the entertainment district. So I probably have some. So I have probably some stories I can talk about, and a few that I probably cannot. Okay. Look, we'll we'll, we'll look forward to hearing some of those. We'll uh, we'll talk about that next uh, on the next episode of What a Ride. Aaron, one last word, mate. Um, we've got to wrap things up because uh, um, uh, I think my Guinness is uh, just being. I think they're just rolling the kegs into place for the first tap of the keg and the first Guinness to come glowingly out of the uh, of out of the tap. No, listen, uh, just go enjoy, buddy. Be safe. Have a have a great holiday today. And uh, for all those out there. Just remember to keep it rubber side down and that a meter matters. Exactly. Couldn't say it better. And uh, happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody around the world. And uh, while everyone's, uh, a lot of people are having some uh, festivity there, just stay safe, as Aaron said. And uh, if you're going somewhere, if you're going to have a drink, um, just, you know, if you don't need to drive, don't drive. Just take a taxi or walk or public transport. Avoid uh, any mishaps that you can. Stay safe. Uber or Uber. Or Uber, okay. Obviously, uh, obviously, Aaron S. Lee has an Uber link there. <laughs> I was trying to be, I was trying to be serious there, Aaron. That was my. <laughs> anyway, everybody out there, what a what a ride, land. Thanks for listening to myself, Rupert Guinness, and Aaron S. Lee. Have a great week and stay safe. A meter matters. Just like a dream Just like a dream
Just like heaven